we light a light in the name of God who creates life. We light a light in the name of Christ who loves life. We light a light in the name of Spirit who is the fire of life. Let us worship God.
Our first reading is the 91st Psalm. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your word might fall afresh upon us this day. Amen. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Holy One, God is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely God will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. God will cover you with God's feathers and under God's wings you will find refuge. God's faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Holy One is my refuge, you make the Most High your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For God will command God's angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because they love me, says the Holy One, I will rescue them. I will protect them, for they acknowledge my name. They will call on me and I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will deliver them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone if I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Holy One, your God, and serve God only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down here. God, for it is written, God will command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, Do not put the Holy One, your God, to test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me just a moment? 
Holy One, we come here grateful to be able to worship you in word and spirit and in bread and life as we gather together. We've longed to be here during this season. And so we ask that you would alight upon our minds and our hearts in a way that only you can do. Send your Holy Spirit to us and illuminate our imagination, our intellect, and our hearts. And may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts always, always be pleasing and acceptable to you. O oh God, you are our strength and our revelation. Amen. First, I want to say it is an honor to be with you here this morning. And uh, like you, I am grateful to be in person and worship and see human beings sitting in the pew and listen to the beautiful music and chimes and each other's spirits. So it is a blessing for me, and I thank you, and I thank your pastor for inviting me. The gospel lesson we heard today and the psalms actually are part of our lectionary for this first Sunday in Lent. And they are familiar to us who have been in the church for a long time. We know the rhythm of the journey of Christ. And this particular story has been told in many different ways, but it's always good for us to come back at it and maybe discover and think about it in new ways, even though we've heard it many times. This past Wednesday um, marked what many Christians around the world consider the start of our high holy season. Ash Wednesday reminds us that no matter how invincible we may feel, no matter how many life goals we have planned and made for ourselves, the truth of the matter is we have a time limit here in this life. Most of it, most often, it's not even determined by us. It's but a breath. It's a train ride we're passing through. We're not meant to stay in this physical body here indefinitely, but sometimes we forget that, and the ashes remind us of that. The ashes remind us, as we say, when we are marked with the smudge of the ashes, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I was a kid who grew up in the Catholic Church, and I imagine I'm not the only one here today who experienced that. But I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade, so it wasn't a small venture. It very much shaped who I am. And I, you can maybe guess, some of you that have been around, I come from the generation where um, being a kid going to Catholic school had a lot of rituals and things that really impress upon us. For example, we made black and um, purple Lenten boxes, which is for to put in your, your, your prayers, the things that you try to do to be a good kid for Christ. Like, don't hit your brother, don't talk back to your mother, clean up your room, do the dishes, be nice. You know, those kinds of things were in the box. And of course, there was the daily stations of the cross, the sense of the incense that is used in the Catholic Church that um, is, has a very strong um, 
sensory appeal, the confessions. And then there was the fasting on Friday where little kids like me would take their tuna fish sandwiches wrapped in foil and potato chips and had fish on Friday. And then there was the cross that is what separates us, our Catholic theology, uh, from our Reformed theology. If you, if probably most of you have all been in a Catholic church, and you know that the cross has Christ on it, often a life-size Christ with thorns and nails and blood, and it's very uh, moving to see this cross. I've reclaimed that cross in my years in ministry, and usually during this time when I was pastoring, I would have both our empty cross and our cross with Christ. Of course, we in the Reformed tradition, we, we celebrate and we look upon the resurrected Lord, the Lord who conquers death and wilderness. But there's something to be said about seeing a human on a cross that reminds us suffering is real. Death is real. Pain is real. And so I started bringing them both together in my services so that people would be reminded we can't sanitize what happened to Jesus. We can't clean up what he experienced. We can't divert our eyes away from what occurred when humans decided to turn against him. It's important for us to remember, especially as we look in the world, how many people are on crosses that we know and that we see, and that we not divert our eyes or our hearts or our faith away from looking at something that is very painful to look at. We're reminded as we enter into this holy season that marks us with not only ashes but with memory, a Lenten journey that shows Jesus as the healing one who comes with, with the restorative power of God's mercy, with the restorative power of God's ability to forgive us for things that really are unforgivable sometimes, for God's love to love us when we are unlovable, and so we are confronted in Ash Wednesday, we are confronted in this Lenten season of the ways that we have missed the mark of God's heart, harmatia, a Greek word for sin which resonated with me more after all of the hard theology I got from my Catholic church, missing the mark of God's heart, missing where God wants us to aim is to sin. And sisters and brothers, we miss the mark often of God's heart. And so part of our walk is to get closer to that direction and that aim that God calls us to. The ways that we human beings cause pain in our own lives and suffering to others is not something we like to admit. But if we're truthful, we have all been there. And so we are in a time where we are to consider and examine our relationships, not only with ourselves, but our relationships one with another, the relationships 
which were frayed and broken and damaged, including the relationship between our creator and us. How do we mend that? Lenten season is a time for us to examine what it is for us to mend and repair what is tattered and torn, not only between our God, but between one another. And so during this time, we might consider what it means to be in the wilderness in this story that is so visual and graphic. The Hebrew word for wilderness derives its root meaning from the word davar. And davar is mentioned 272 times in the Old Testament. And it's translated to mean a dry and arid desert. In the past, I've been very privileged in my ministry uh, to travel to the Middle East, to Jordan, on three different occasions. Each time I traveled to this beautiful holy land, I grew in my understanding of the Bible stories. I began to understand the Hebrew people were often the people of the desert who encountered God in this wilderness, this dry, arid, beautiful land. I had the opportunity to stay overnight in the Bedouin tents in Wadi Ram, stood on Mount Nebo where Moses looked over into a land that he would not cross, that looked barren to me across the miles, but it was promised to walk in Petra among the people who still um, guard that area. The desert lands are so vast and unpopulated that travelers depend on the hospitality at the sparse rest stops between Amand and Akuba. Except for the remaining Bedouin tribes people who know how to live off these arid desert lands, most people, frankly, would not survive very long on their own. Even when you visit Petra and you hike up the steps, they will be there offering you tea and company. The hospitality of a desert people is necessary to survive, as it was in Jesus' time and as it continues to this day. And so we might imagine Jesus in this setting, I think it's fair to say that this Lenten season in particular, we find ourselves living in a kind of collective wilderness. A wilderness that we share that is not so much a physicality or a location. There is the convergence of so many hard and difficult things impacting our lives affecting our country and in so many places around the world. The most recent unfolding turmoil and tragedy of the war that's between Russia occupying the takeover of Ukraine, even as we are in the comfort of the pews this morning, and the threatening aggressions towards European and American pro-democracy ideals, has unleashed a destructive and deadly force against an independent country. People around the world, including here, are rattled by these actions of war. 
seeing chaotic fleeing families and the destruction of communities and neighborhoods and the death of innocent civilians, including children. Our lives are disrupted as we think of ourselves in the wilderness by COVID-19 that is still affecting us as we have masks on our face, vaccines in our arms, trying to figure out when to take them, on, take them off and put them on, how many people to be around or not be around. We're struggling with global economies that we don't know how much we'll, we'll recover. And through it all, I have to say, we have not, as a people, come to terms with the enormity of the loss of life, a grief so wide and deep we can hardly imagine. So many people that are not here with us any longer in this world and those who will be impaired for life because they survived COVID, but they still have the effects of it. We struggle in what to do with the stem, to rise the stem of racial bigotry and discrimination. We are not sure what to do. We think we want to try different things, but we haven't figured it out enough yet to solve it. We are concerned about the incivility and the hate and the violence towards people not like us which has spilled over into places that are just everyday lives, restaurants and airplanes, parks, simple places that we would have never had to think about such things. We are concerned by the weakening commitment of our democratic ideals and values, which for many of us we could have never imagined would happen in this country of freedom we wonder, are we going to hold true to the aspirations of the United States to build a more equitable, inclusive, multicultural society? And then we glance that there is a large, significant part of our country and others around the world with the troubling move to more populist, ethnocentric, Christian nationalism in many places, including here, We've been here before. In our confessions in our Presbyterian Church, we have the Barman Declaration. And we have our more recent um, decoration, which is the Belhar one that is based on uh, ending apartheid in South Africa. These are our traditions in the Presbyterian Church that looked at the sin of making second-class citizens or moving one group of people in front of the others. These are our traditions and our book of confessions that say you should never put the cross and the picture of a leader next to each other as if they can be equated, which is what Hitler did. There's only one God that we worship. We cannot superimpose anything human-made on top of the cross except Jesus. This is where we are. These things that many in this room know from their personal life or from their relatives who have fought for freedom and against these things. But we as Christians have a particular responsibility to be held accountable in a way that those who are non-believers do not. 
We have a particular responsibility to stand up when someone would replace the cross with the power of a nation or an individual. That is the principality, that is the devil, that is the adversary, that is the opposition to what God is about. And it is true, as it was true for Jesus in the desert, it is as true as true it is for us now. It is an uncomfortable place to be where in the past people lost their lives fighting for it. Bonhoeffer is one that comes to mind, but he was not the only one. So we enter this Lenten season longing for a God to help us out of this dry and desperate desert place. And so this season allows for us a time to be honest, to be self-reflective, to be insightful as we examine our personal lives, but also the current state of affairs. Lent is a reminder of the human suffering too many people and our environment experience in the world. It is a time where we see Jesus who identifies with those who are suffering, those who are rejected, those who are despised in the world. The Dr. Howard Thurman talks about it in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. How many times have I seen a man or woman with his back up against the wall and the church was silent. The Jesus story in the wilderness happens right after he is baptized. He comes out of the baptism waters, Scripture says, full of the Holy Spirit. He is commissioned into his ministry, and he gets this particular story gives us insight about who Jesus is becoming and what he is being sent to do for all of God's people. In the wilderness, we hear this story as we watch a hungry, a hungry human Jesus struggle and resist everything he was confronted with, tempted by to not give in to this adversary, this opposition of the will of God. The adversary is the power who would challenge God's power, who would challenge the creator's sovereignty, who would dissuade us and make us believe that God's love is not sincere. This God who influences our minds and our hearts. The adversary tries to assume control and command of by God's power by directing his appeal to our human flesh, to our human bones, to our human minds and heart. He tries to do this to God's own son, and he tries to do it to us. In the wilderness, I want to say that sometimes gets a bad rap as potentially a dangerous place. It is sometimes associated with the unknown, with the scary and dangerous things. One of my favorite children's books is Marie Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are, and Max has to go off because he's been naughty, and he goes off and he meets these terrible beasts who roll their terrible eyes and gnash their terrible teeth, and he tells them, be still. And they make Max the king, and he's the king of the wild things, and he tames them until he smells his mom's cooking, and he has to come back home. 
But I would say that the desert is also a place that is made up of stunning beauty and wildness. One needs to respect when you're in the wilderness and in the wild. And yet it is full of wonderful, amazing things. And when we are in the wilderness by ourselves, we're just one creature in the midst of the wildness. I know these places. I've been fortunate to be in many extraordinary wilderness places. They shimmer with nature's beauty, especially the solitude of wild places where there is no humans around. Very few, if ever, even trek into some of these places. And so, yes, you do need to pay attention when you're in the wilderness. You need to be aware of your surroundings, but that does not mean that it's not a place that we should go. We all need to go into the wilderness and look up under the dark and starry nights and face the fears that we have. In fact, if you travel in the wilderness, you know that you have to face your fears. You have to prepare to go. You just can't go off backpacking way up in Tuolumne Meadows or someplace without being prepared or hiking in the desert. You need to be prepared for what you might face, not only in the elements, but your own apprehensions about how you will do and survive. I would suggest that this story of the wilderness represents both a physical and a spiritual location that we humans, especially we urbanize city folks, must face our anxieties and our fears in un unfamiliar territory. We can all identify with Jesus going off alone to pray and prepare for his mission that God has sent him to. But he must face his human fears that he cannot yet see and know exactly what he's going to encounter in his ministry. If we believe in the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, but in the humanity of Jesus, we know that he, when he went, he did not have superhero powers. He could not, like the, like the magazines, the comic strips that we see, just wish this adversary away. He could not wish away that he was not hungry when he hadn't eaten. He could not wish that he might want, we cannot wish away that he might have been tempted to give in to what the adversary was asking him to do. We can relate. But here's the thing, he didn't go alone and he didn't go unequipped. He went in the power of the Holy Spirit, which filled him to be able to stand when these things came up in front of him and say no. Say no to the adversary. To say no to his tricks his efforts to persuade Jesus to give up his mission. He said no to the deceptions and lies, to dishonest intentions. He said no to the distortions of the truth that rejects God's light. The force in the wilderness that Jesus faced is the same force of evil and adversary that we confront in these days, in our lives, in this time. And Jesus said, I will not bow down to this deceit. I only worship and serve my Abba. Get behind thee, Satan. 
and the adversary left him waiting for another time to try again. Sisters and brothers, there are things that try to redirect us away from God, away from our calling, away from the life and the mission that we who bear the light and the witness of Jesus Christ have. There are things that make us say, that's not my business, it's too hard, it's very difficult. What if people don't like me? What will people say about me if I speak up, if I act up, if I stand up? The deal is, Jesus did. He did in his humanity, not in his resurrected divinity. He did it with the feelings and emotions that you and I know what it means to confront those things that go against God's love. But he knew that God's power is unequaled to any other power or false god or false teaching that is from an adversary or from human beings. He was tested and tempted as we are. And so as we come to this season of Lent and we experience this wilderness, this season of holy reckoning, this season of holy resistance to the forces that are inside of ourselves and outside in the world that try to separate us from the love of God and from the love that we should have for each other, let us remember this wilderness journey is a time to recognize and to relate to the power of Jesus who stood up to evil and persevered against the things that tear human beings apart. Facing our fears in the wilderness encourages us to not give up on our efforts for living a faith that is true, that is courageous, that is honest, that is brave. Lent in the wilderness is a journey that, sisters and brothers, we should not avoid. We should venture into these places. Jesus has already gone before us. He didn't go it alone. And the Holy Spirit was with him as he confronted the physical and spiritual struggles and temptations. And so our call is to do what Christ's call was and try to do the same. And I want to tell you that the same Holy Spirit that anointed and commissioned Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that has anointed and commissioned you to go out into the world with our ordinary human selves. We don't have to be on the front pages of the newspaper. Our names don't need to be known. We don't need to be famous. We just need to be who we are in our own way, standing in that power of the Holy Spirit, facing our fears in the wilderness. It is the mission we are called to, to serve God's people with respect, with dignity, with compassion, with joy, with light, and with love, with lots of love. Amen.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Holy God, you have fed us in word, in silence, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and praise. Amen. Sisters and brothers, we are about to go out from this place, having been fed by the word and by the bread of life. And so as we go out, let us consider this holy season, our time in the wilderness, to take to heart what Jesus showed us he could do and we can do as well. And now may the love of God, may the power and prompting and advocacy of the Holy Spirit lift you up, move you out, and send you with power and love. Go in grace, go in peace, and serve the Lord. Amen.